morning. It's nice to see your lovely faces. We're going to carry on with 1 Peter. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, we're looking at chapter 3. Okay. Isn't that lovely? It's not me. Thought I'd add that. Or him, actually. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Right. Have you got it? 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through to uh, the end of 7. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way of the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, Uh, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Come on, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the joy of preaching through these letters in the scriptures verse by verse. We thank you. We, we can't avoid the things we would like to avoid. And we get to learn about things and bring our lives into line with truth in Scripture that we would otherwise not come across. We thank you so much for this living, active Word of God. We pray you'd help us today. Come to every heart. Lord, those who are married, those who are single, you've got things to say today. Lord, those who are going to feel some soreness from divorce or bereavement. Oh, God, thank you for your graciousness and your compassion Uh, Just come and bring life to each one today. Lift our heads, speak to us, and may may we build our lives around the the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So Kaz Kaz and I are going to handle this passage together today. Um, We thought that would be a good thing. We've been talking about it a lot this week, and we're still married. Um, So that's that's good news. Um, Danny said last Sunday in the previous verses in 1 Peter in our Holy House series, Danny said that submission is really hard when we're being commanded to submit to governments and rulers and kings and masters. Danny hadn't turned the page into chapter 3 where it says, in the same way, wives submit to your husbands. Um, Listen, just two extremes for us to avoid today as we look at this this text, and it is great to go through the Bible verse by verse. It does rescue us from just picking out our favorite passages and avoiding things that make us uncomfortable. Um, so t- two things to avoid. Don't, don't, don't get so focused on that word, um, submission, that you miss the opportunity, that we miss the opportunity to get shaped by the scriptures today. And I think the second extreme to avoid is don't switch off if you're not married, if you're single, not yet married, were once married, are widowed. We believe there are some truths here and some principles in the word of God that that affect all of us as disciples of Jesus Christ. And actually, maybe three issues as well to remember. Um, Actually, 
the majority of people around the world today don't find these verses contentious. It's just a very small number, really, in our Western, uh, Northern European, North American, uh, East Coast, West Coast culture um, that find uh, passages like this hard. For most of the world today, they're reading a passage like this and nodding their heads and saying, yeah, great, this is the word of the Lord. This is how we want to live our lives. So let's just maybe bear those things in mind. Give me a little wave. Anyone feeling nervous? Any husbands or wives? Yeah. So verse 1, in the same way, uh, Peter says. So in the same way, he's linked, again, we're going verse by verse, but he's referring back to what's gone before. It's how we read the scriptures. We don't just pull a passage out of its, uh, out of its setting. So this is teaching, Peter is telling us, in the same way, that is consistent with the verses that have gone before, with the instruction in the whole letter and what comes immediately prior to it. And remember, we've been looking at these truths week after week. Here is the background for us that Peter says in the same same way, wives. He says, hey, we're exiles in this, this culture, this unbelieving culture. We're strangers or aliens was that word uh, that gets used um, to mean we don't belong here. Um, we uh, belong to Jesus. We're God's holy people. We're living in a world which operates under a different authority structure and a different belief structure. But as exiles in this world, we submit ourselves to that authority whether it's government, masters, even in this passage, ungodly husbands or wives. Um, so that, that's the context here. It's, it's just, it's a continuation of applying the gospel into our lives, but now even into relationships of marriage. It's the gospel in married life. And, and boy, do we need the gospel in our married lives. Um, the relationship between husband and wife has been distorted ever since Genesis 3 um, uh, and Genesis 2, where Adam and Eve decided they would rebel against God's best for humanity made in the image of God. Part of the, the curse, if you like, from Genesis 3 um, is that one, the, one will, the man will begin to dominate the woman and the woman will begin to respond at times even through uh, attempts to reclaim ground and manipulate and control. That's the distortion that's come in. It was never God's intention uh, in that way. The gospel restores right relationship. First of all, it restores our relationship with the God who made us for a relationship with him. And secondly, because we're beginning to get restored with God, we begin to get restored in all of our other relationships, including between husbands uh, and wives. Um, we get put back, reset to God's intent for uh, men and women made in his image, made to flourish, reflecting in, in some imperfect way, Wow, his faithful love for me now begins to get played out, even in my marriage. Faithful love given and received. This is what the gospel does. Um, it's probably worth saying again, because we do live in, in Western culture. It's not in our text today. Um, but the, the Bible teaches that the intent of, um, for, for marriage, as we talk about marriage today, um, the intent is that it's between a man and a woman, and it's for life. Um, again, in many cultures around the world, there's no need to say that. But today, we're living as exiles in a different culture. And so it's important that we just express that and build our lives on that. God's intent from the beginning um, is that we hold 
faithfully to men and women uh, in married relationships. Now, the fact that we live as exiles in a world where, uh, in a culture where the majority um, don't think that way, means that we get to love and care and accept and welcome and befriend uh, all those that think differently from us. That's what exile life is like. We get to faithfully and with integrity live out the scriptures and so shine a light on what God's best can look like uh, when we live for him and glorify him. But we get to live around others that think and live differently without judgment. We leave judgment to God uh, and we flourish under his mighty hand. That's one of the contexts we find this passage in. Another context, I guess, Peter's writing to people around the Greek. These, do you remember these scattered men and women, he says in verse 1, scattered around the Greek and Roman world. And so again, in that culture, he's speaking about wives, women, girls who would have no rights of their own uh, in that culture. And there's another context here in verse 1. Don't, don't miss it. Um, he's talking to uh, wives. Churches have been planted in pagan cities. Um, some women have come to faith in Jesus. They've got born again, but they're now married to men who have not yet responded to the gospel. That's the other context Peter's speaking about. We might come back to that at the end in a, in a few minutes' time before we pray. So in, into these settings, into this bigger context, that's how we read this passage. Peter is teaching on how we live as God's people, how we submit to him, how this submission primarily to Jesus begins to order everything else. Uh, If you're a wife, it means how you can see your husband. If you're married to an unbelieving husband, it means this is how you view your relationship with your husband before he's come to faith in Jesus. This is the context Peter's writing into. In this society, we're exiles. How can I show love to those around me? 1 Peter 2.9. Uh, what does it mean for my husband in this case to come out of darkness and into the wonderful light of Jesus? What does it mean, as we were saying a couple of weeks ago, for my husband or my friends or my family or those that I'm living, I'm here in exile in the world, those I work with, those at my college or my university or my workplace that, that don't live as God's people? How, how can I live in order that they who are not currently God's people are those that say, now we've become the people of God? Uh, that's the context. That's the principle here. And it gets applied into our marriages as well. Um, so it's really important we read the Bible in its context. We're not just pulling verses out. Otherwise, we, we, we can pick a few strange verses um, and, uh, wow, they just get misapplied terribly, don't they, in churches and in, in religion. You end up with a few weird verses about, about wives and, uh, and uh, how they dress and bad hair, and, and you get a really weird religious application, um, and, uh, and you end up with badly behaved, domineering men uh, and, and ladies that are fearful and oppressed in their dress uh, and their lives and their behavior. That is not what this passage is teaching. It's really important we see the context in the whole letter let me hear an amen please thank you um so but remember here's our context you are god's called out holy people we're scattered in the world hey yeah we're living under all kinds of pressure from our culture but we are shining for jesus we're living for a greater prize so we've got this this uh rightly so because we submit to jesus we've got this attitude to rulers and governments and our bosses in our workplace and even in our marriage we're learning to live out of reverence for jesus with an attitude of submission but always looking to show people and to shine out the wonderful light that is the gospel in our lives so i think there are truths there are truths here because he's going to come on to them in a moment certainly for married couples. But I think these principles are carried on through into friendships or for 
parents and children or children and parents who don't yet believe. Verse 8, I don't know if we get there next week, goes on to apply exactly the same teaching in the same way to all of us as Christians. So, so please, don't, don't miss the context today because our Western culture has just wired our brains to react to a, a certain word. Do you want to talk about that word? Submit. Would you like to? I'm, asking, I'm inviting you. I'm not telling you. Okay. So there are some Western voices that start with the um, oh great that start with That's the assumption people. that submission is bad. So these Western voices like social media, uh, TV, journalism, these voices come with this idea that submission is bad. And because of that idea, we presume that these uh, verses actually relate to an old cultural context, you know, the old world of the Greek and the Roman world. And then, actually, it means that we can explain submission away. It's not something that we have to deal with. This bad idea doesn't need to apply to us today. And we actually can often do that with ideas within the Bible that push against us. You know, that the, the world's culture says, and it might speak against uh, what we should be believing. And this is dangerous ground, isn't it? So unless we want to rewrite God's word, we need to take the truth of what is being taught us. Now, our assumption is shaped by our Western culture. We live here in this part of the world, and um, that idea that submission is ugly or is oppressive or abusive or dominant and overbearing, uh, we can attempt to make it a little bit more comfortable so that we can ignore it. But let's remember back when Dave and Al taught us about the belief tree. Do you remember the image of the tree where you've got the beautiful fruit at the top? Our roots, the roots of the tree, which is us, are in the word of God. And as, the kingdom, as kingdom people and disciples, what grows from our lives is not rooted in our culture where we are living, but instead it is rooted in the word of God. And our Western culture is out of step with us as Jesus followers. And we need to be aware of that. So that's why we're called exiles and strangers and foreigners and aliens. That's why we get that. So could it be that submission is just a part of our exile life that the world sees differently? We bring our lives into line with the word of God in order that we glorify Jesus and shine his light in the darkness through our distinctive relationships. The Bible teaches godly submission as a beautiful thing. Without submission, we cannot give our lives to Jesus. That's where it all starts. We submit to Jesus. There's that word again. We submit to him. We love him. And then out of that, we can love one another in a way that he intends. 
This is his order. This is the godly order of things. Godly submission is beautiful. It's rich. It's life-giving for flourishing relationships, that of marriage, that of the parents and child, of friends, in churches, even in the world around us. But it's out of our right relationship with God first. So maybe, just maybe, we understand submission as not as God intends. Or maybe we feel something when we hear that word. What does it bring up when we hear the word? Is it not godly? Is it the sinful distortion that actually harms, that actually crushes and prevents people from flourishing in their relationships with God and then with one another? You know, we have seen this distortion through history, haven't we? In churches, this word has been used as a, a bit of a weapon and within religion too, using passages just like this one that we've read this morning, actually for harm rather than for good. But the word of God gives us all kinds of place, uh, submission there's submission in relationship within the church to Jesus and the church to its leaders. Actually, even in the unseen spiritual powers to Jesus Christ, to servants and masters and citizens and authorities and the whole universe. But of course, as we're thinking this morning, wives and husbands, wives, be submissive or accept the authority of your husband as, as he accepts the authority of Jesus and the whole created order, comes into submission to Christ on his throne. Well, that's quite an order, isn't it? So, true godly submission is not harmful. It cannot be harsh, heavy, abusive, selfish, because that is not how Jesus relates to us as we submit to him. That is a sinful distortion. And all these areas of godly submission are to enable people to flourish when we first submit to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Think about how Jesus loves the church. 1 Peter 2.24 Think about Ephesians 5 and 25. You can look these up later. Where he gave himself up for her. Who's her? Jesus gave himself up for the church. Cleansing her. Making her radiant. Think about how Jesus bends to wash our feet how he stretched out his body to be killed. He was falsely accused and he carried our sin in our place. He stood in the gap between God and humanity for his beloved bride, his church, us. No wonder Ephesians compares the submission and love between a husband and wife to the love in action of the husband, Jesus. 
with his bride, the church. And so it should be with us. You know, Steve wants me to flourish. And he wants me to flourish with him, not so he can live his best life, not so he can bully, but instead, when he is close to loving and preferring me in the way Jesus loves the church, then I can gladly submit. Now, where submission is abusive and controlling, or demanding, it's sinful. It's as plain as that. And there is no place for that. It's not godly, nor Christ-like. So if you need to, repent. If actually you need to seek some healing from being on the other side of it, deal with it. Because Jesus is so compassionate and we live in the light of his example. That's beautiful. Well done. Thank you. Wow. Um, uh, that, they're challenging words for, to hear standing next to Kaz. If a husband even gets close, even gets close to that Ephesians 5 example of Jesus, then there's a joyful response of submission. Let's not miss that this morning. He says, making a note for him himself. Um, let's move on to verse 3. Uh, there are some other distortions, but we want to move through to some application to pray together before we, we finish. Kaz, should Christian women have bad hair, wear no makeup, <laughs> wear truly awful clothes and pay no attention to their appearance? No. Okay, uh, done. Um, and, and it's absurd. We say it like that, and, but if you just read the verse, um, if you're a husband that printed that off and stuck it on the fridge at home for your wife, to see uh, that the scriptures, uh, the scriptures say the very opposite. Um, look at look at Esther. Look at Song of Songs and, and the um, the lifting, the exalting of, of beauty uh, in in marriage. There, uh, even Sarah, who's given as an example of inner beauty here. Actually, when you read the story of Sarah, she is noted for her incredible outward beauty. Even as an older lady, she's taken into the harem, harem, harem harem of, of foreign kings on two occasions as an older lady. So don't miss the point here. The point is not to have outer beauty. Peter is saying, don't let this be the extent of your beauty, um, rather than the inner adorning that he's going to go on and describe in verse 4. I was talking with, um, listening to Ollie Bradley uh, yesterday. Ollie's up with our 11s to 14s uh, at, at the moment. He was telling me as a study from, from Dove uh, you know, the, do the beauty products moisturizing. Uh, and they're saying that 80% of 11 to 14-year-old girls on their social media photos will have used filters or Photoshop in some way to change their appearance. 80%. Um, we, we need to secure our young women, our daughters, our girls, our women with an affirmation of true beauty. There's something deeply insecuring in our generation. There always has been. I think men and women have always struggled with their body image, but, but now with the online pressure and the comments that can come under a photo you put up, the scriptures have something to teach us here. 
So verse 4, how is your, your inner self, your inner beauty, the inner person of your heart, if you want to express it that way? Uh, and again, today uh, in the West, there's an emotional answer to that. There's a therapeutic answer. There's a kind of mental health answer. And they're, they're really valuable responses that are worth thinking through. But the heart becomes truly beautiful and secure when Jesus comes to make his home there. Um, the, the, the famous, one of the early church fathers uh, who said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, speaking of Jesus. That's where our heart becomes truly beautiful and secure. And then from the inside out, we begin to reflect and shine with his beauty and glory, whatever our, whether you're having a bad hair day like me uh, or, or not. Um, it's, and it's about submission again, as we've been saying, submit to Jesus then we begin to relate right to those around us in healthy, life-giving ways, even to how we see ourselves. So we're just asking today the honest question from the Scriptures. How's, how's your heart, ladies and men? Is Jesus enthroned in your heart? Is his beauty spreading and growing security and affirmation? Is it coming out in your words and in your actions? Uh, because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Is Jesus enthroned there? Just think about that this morning. Just jump to verse 7 with me, will you? Uh, and, and here's the word for husbands. If some of you fellows have been sitting comfortably, maybe even nudging your wives or saying, you should make a note of that verse earlier on there. Uh, now the finger points firmly back at us. Uh, there is no escape. I love the scriptures. Every nodding husband now gets to squirm. Um, the, the beauty of the scriptures is it's so mutual. It's the same in Ephesians 5 as it is here. This, was, uh, this is radical today. It was really radical in, in Peter's day in the, in the Greek Roman world. Um, when a husband, out of his submission to Christ, will love his wife with a Christ-like consideration, in the same way husbands be considerate to your wives, when, when his every motive towards his wife, because of his love for Jesus, is to love and serve her and seek her well-being and seek to see her shining and flourishing. Because I've been loved by Jesus, I want to love her in that way. When that happens, we, we truly begin to see in, in marriage this, this shining contentment and joy in a wife and a big example to our exiled generation. It's, again, it's all there in Ephesians 5, as Kaz was touching on earlier. I think that is such a high bar. In fact, it's an impossible bar. If you're a husband this morning, you cannot be this man. Kaz was saying, when Steve gets close to loving me as Jesus loves his church, I, I can't get close to loving Kaz as Jesus loves his church unless I submit my life to Jesus and, and, and abandon myself entirely and invite the filling and the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the Holy Spirit. You know when we say, hey, come forward to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Come and receive the Holy Spirit. And you think, oh, yeah, I want to pray in tongues or prophesy or be courageous with the gospel or heal the sick. Those are all really important applications. But husbands, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in order that you can love your wife. You need, you and I, we need the helper, the enabler, the empower the Holy Spirit if we're to begin to love our wives as Jesus has loved his church. Let me hear a quiet amen, husbands. Amen. Yeah, amen. That was good. Uh, very considered. What does, what does uh, Peter say when he touches on the weaker sex? That's a phrase that could make you cross, couldn't it? Um, yeah, apparently so. Um, the weaker sex. Peter doesn't explain, actually, in what way he means this phrase about the weaker partner. Um, but he does end verse 6, uh, instructing wives not to be in fear of their husbands. Maybe that's a physical fear 
Uh, certainly some women do are afraid of, of the strength of their husbands and the way husbands use their aggression and their strength. Maybe Peter was thinking in his culture of other, other kinds of power imbalance. Um, certainly in, in his world, there was an educational imbalance for met between men and women. There certainly was a financial imbalance between men and women. The men had all the power. They held all the cards. There's still the same power imbalances that exist today. We can say, oh, that's the culture of the day. It's still the same in the room today. An abusive husband can take advantage emotionally and physically and cause harm to his wife in all the same old ways. So the gospel is countercultural because it says, instead, husbands are to bestow honor on their wives. It's so very Christ-like. Wow. Jesus cares for us from his position of strength to us husbands in our weakness. And we say, yeah, out of my weakness, I'm receiving strength from God and I'm going to pour that strength into the partner you've given me. It just gets replicated in our marriages. It's all about the gospel. One area Peter definitely doesn't mean uh, that, that my wife is the weaker partner is with, with regard to her value or worth as a woman. The Bible's very clear. There we go. <laughs> Skinny guy, strong girl. Again, this is not from our photo album. Um, <laughs> we had a great day dressing up for the photo shoot, didn't we? Uh, <laughs> I wish I could hold it all in like that. Um, listen, th- this Peter is not saying that, that there's any sense of, uh, uh, of disproportion in terms of how we come to God. Read the rest of the scriptures again. Even this very passage, um, Peter goes on to say she is a co-heir. She is an equal heir in the grace of God. For, for Kaz, she relates to God by herself. She doesn't come through me. I'm not her priest. Kaz has been saved by the grace of God. Kaz has her own walk with Jesus that she cultivates. Kaz is an image bearer of God in the world. She has her own call and mission for Jesus and and good works that he's prepared in advance for her to do, as well as things that we share in our call together. Kaz has been gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit to play her part in this new community of the people of God. And by the way, in this new community, in one sense, as Paul says elsewhere, there is now no longer slave or free uh, or Jew or Gentile or male or female, but now we are one in Christ Jesus. She's a joint heir in the grace of God. And that's true for all of you ladies here today. Let me hear a higher pitched Hallelujah. Okay, that's good. And look at the application for this, husbands, just in case you thought you were getting off the hook. Peter says, so that nothing, so be considerate to your wife. Love her as the weaker partner, though she's a co-heir in the grace of God. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, in the same way, Peter started this verse with, so he's he's talking to us husbands here. I, I, I wondered, I've been thinking and praying and reading about what he's saying here. I think he's saying this in part. When, we fail, when I fail to love my wife, when I fail to serve her with gentle, patient, Christ-like love and consideration, when that relationship is not right, and it should be because I say I'm a follower of Jesus, then God will interrupt my relationship with him. He will hinder my prayer life. And he is good at hindering because he disciplines those he loves. Um, 
It's the same principle we see elsewhere in the, in the Bible. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to forgive us as we forgive those who sin uh, uh, against us. We read the parable of the man who was forgiven a big debt, and then he went to the guy who owed him a small amount of money and threw him into prison. The, the principle in the Scriptures is if you don't forgive others with the generosity and mercy that Christ has forgiven you, then you yourself will not be forgiven. It, it's an in the same way kind of principle here. If as a husband I understand yeah, Jesus is my head and he will never abuse me or harm me and I want to enjoy fellowship and intimacy with Jesus and yet at the same time I'm harming intimacy with my wife that he's given me to love and care for. Is it any wonder that my communion and my relationship with God will falter or even be withdrawn that I would undergo his discipline in some kind of way for a while until I repent and restore my wife to the, the rightful place of Christ-like love and care. That's a word for us husbands. You need to hear that. If you're saying, I don't really feel connected to God in my prayer life right now. Maybe have a think about your marriage. And the opposite is true as well. Imagine how a couple who submit to Jesus gladly together. Imagine how they might pray. Um, I don't know why we don't pray more together. Early on when we were married, we struggled to pray, didn't we? You were really good at it. And maybe I was just Immature, maybe. Yeah, I was just immature. Um, let me just fill in the blanks for you. Um, we found it hard, and we've had seasons of wonderful prayer in our life, and then other seasons where we just kind of pray on the go a little bit. Uh, the scriptures hold up a beautiful, honoring, mutual prayer between husband and wife, praying for one another, praying for the family of the church or family life if God's given you uh, a family, praying for the unsaved world around us in which he's made us, in which we live as an exiled couple with different values, powerful prayers, looking to win others for Christ. Imagine that. Husbands, don't you want to pray more with your wives in that way and let nothing hinder your prayers in that way? Let's just move to some uh, conclusions. There's so much in this passage. Maybe we'll, we'll do a, Joseph and I did a little Insta Live uh, two, three weeks ago. Maybe we'll, we'll do a do we dare do one with, with questions? And Yeah, we, we, let's do one. Um, but just some things here we don't want to miss. The, the main application, we just touched on it earlier. Then Kaz will finish up in verse 1 and 2. Part of Peter's main application here is that some of you ladies are married to men who are not yet believers. I, I think there is in verses 1 and 2. Just going back round again. Let's not miss that today. I, I wonder if these instructions to a believing wife with an unbelieving husband actually help all of us who live in this culture as exiles help all of us to think wisely about how we share the gospel with those we're in very close relationships with with unchurched unchristianized generation in the in the UK there are some lessons we can learn here some principles um, of, of prayer and patience they some principles about our conduct and our holy living and waiting for opportunities um, the opposite is to rush in with your Bible to those you work with or in your family or even an unsaved husband or wife uh, to leave. Uh, in the old days, you would have left tracts all over the house um, and uh, to live impatiently, maybe to be pushy, perhaps to use many words, maybe even to have lives that don't match our words. That's called hypocrisy. I wonder how we're living as exiles with the gospel. This verse 1 and 2 here speaks about the, the saved wife winning over her unsaved husband, to win him over, not pushing, not persuading, not, not arguing him into the kingdom. Um, it speaks of, of time spent. It speaks of the husband being able to observe her character, that inner beauty, her behavior, her purity, her reverence, this authentic beauty of heart, her gentle spirit. It, it's the very opposite of striving or manipulating. 
And this stuff really matters. We, we have many friends who've been in married relationships where a husband or wife has not yet been born again. It's the most important thing. It's so easy just to take hold of it and, and try and push it forward um, at a speed that God doesn't seem to be working at. Hey, here is a text for us to learn from in submission to Jesus. Um, it's, it's very honoring. Peter says, without words, you might win your husband or you might win your friend or your colleague from our culture to Jesus. Now, of course, words are important. Words will come. Words are very necessary. Paul says in Romans, how can they hear if we don't tell them? How can they know the gospel if we don't share it with them? Words are, are really important. Um, but if you use many words in friendship or in a marriage without the character and the heart, then the words are empty. Peter isn't teaching that we shouldn't ever talk much about the gospel. In a couple of weeks' time, we'll be further on in, chap- chapter, in verse 15 of chapter 3, where he says, you need to always be ready to give a reason for the hope you have in Jesus. That's a spoken reason. So Peter's not contradicting himself here. What he is saying is that anyone really close to you, particularly in a marriage, who's going to be one for Jesus, will be one not just with your words, or not even firstly from your words, but through our behavior and our example. That should lead us to pray, shouldn't it? Should lead us to pray particularly. You may have some friends sitting along the row from you today who are in married life where one is not yet a believer. Should lead us to pray for grace to live right and for God to be working in the husband and the wife's heart as we pray and patiently look for him to work. Do you want to do one more thing before we, before we pray? Yeah, cool. One more thing. Because there are other places that the Bible speaks to us Um, especially husbands and wives, where there's only one partner that may be a believer. So 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. Yoked, if you think about that thing that goes across the oxen's shoulders, don't be hooked up or joined with unbelievers. You can't mix darkness and light Um, But 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 12 to 17 does actually say, remain in the situation you find yourself in when you're born again, where you can. Okay, So let's have some godly wisdom here. There is grace for those married that are in this situation. But you know, this scripture has huge wisdom for us. And it's great instruction for those not yet married or those that are dating. Because this isn't a simple, annoying command or instruction that means that you can't date that girl or that boy that doesn't go to church. It's because there are consequences. You know, we submit, we're believers and we submit to Christ And we're going to submit our heart and our soul to one another within a marriage. And you can't go into that knowing that the person that you have given yourself to has not given themselves to Jesus in the same way. There is grace for you where you find yourself in that situation. And there is grace for you if you've got your... Sorry, and there's grace for you if you've got yourself there deliberately because God does love you. But don't take this step purposefully. It's a warning.
God, should we stand and, and pray together? There's lots there this morning and just opening up these passages and reading the scriptures. Our, our responsibility is to let the scriptures speak for themselves, to try and explain them, not explain them away. Some of it makes us feel uncomfortable, sad, angry, painful. It stirs up all kinds of things uh, in family life together. We're a family. We love one another. We don't apply things harshly and heavily. As Kaz says, there's grace from the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us so deeply. Whether we've got ourselves into a mess of our own making or whether we've found ourselves in these circumstances as we've got born again. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. If, if you want to pray with me, just lift your hands to the Lord this morning. I just, Kaz, can you just grab my Bible there? Is that all right? Just, um, just want to thank him. We, we've spoken a lot about the self-giving love of Jesus for his, his church um, I was just thinking as Kaz was finishing up there, those verses at the end of, of last week's um, teaching from Jesus, uh, about Jesus, chapter 2, verse 24. Thank you, Jesus. You, you yourself bore our sins in your body on the tree so that, so that I might die to sin and live for righteousness. Thank you that by your wounds I've been healed, we've been healed. Lord, we were sheep going astray. Wow, thank you. We were just running after every other teaching of the world. Uh, that the world teaches us. But, but now we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. We, we thank you so much for the gospel. You, you've humbled yourself in order that you might lift us up in you, Jesus. We, we, we just want more and more of the gospel in our lives. Lord, if there are things we need to repent of this morning, will you speak to us? Men, women, husbands, wives, singles. Lord, if there are those that are divorced that just feel some pain uh, from their past, oh God, come with your grace this morning. Lord, come, where there's repentance needed, bring conviction of sin and repentance. We thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, thank you we can go out today and through this week knowing that every guilt has been lifted off, every shame has been lifted off. We've been made clean. We've been justified in Jesus. We're clothed in Christ. Lord, thank you. Lord, even where there are people here today who've had, who've had sexual affairs, who've committed adultery, who, who've broken the covenant trust between a husband or a wife. Lord, today, may they come. May there be no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus as they confess their sin to you. Um, Lord, would you break off every enemy lie um, and may they begin to hear, although we scandalously don't deserve it, may they begin to know that I am clean and accepted in Christ. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So we just respond, Lord. There'll be all kinds of things I know right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about. Just, just keep working with him through today, through this week. There may be people you need to talk to. Some of you husbands and wives might just want to take some time uh, out this week. Turn off Netflix. Have a quiet hour. Just listen to one another. Do what I don't do very well and listen to your wife. Let her speak. Ask her how she feels as we've talked through these passages. And then pray together. If you need to confess sin to one another, do it. Wow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you help us in our relationship with you? We submit to you. We say, Jesus is Lord. Just say it with me. Jesus is Lord. Jesus, you're my Lord. Yeah, thank you. If there's anyone here that hasn't yet given their life to Jesus, it's your first step today. <laughs> this passage today is about the gospel. So marriage is secondary. The gospel is first. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, if you haven't done, say, Jesus, you're Lord of all my life. Even my marriage relationship, or if I'm single, my singleness, my purity, my sexuality, uh, it all comes under the Lordship of Jesus. If you've not taken that step today, please come and see me in a moment. We'd love to pray with you and help you take that first step. Wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord I'm just going to pray for a moment, then we'll, we'll, we'll finish. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Lord, we pray for every marriage in this church to be strengthened. 
Lord, we, we, we pray for any right now, Lord, that are really struggling. Come, Lord, bring healing. Release it this week. Lord, thank you. We pray, come urgently, come quickly. Lord, may our marriages shine like stars in a wicked and depraved generation. God, we grieve. We are brokenhearted, Lord, and confess our sin before you that the statistics in the church for divorce are as high as they are in the world. Uh, Lord, we pray, would you come to Christian husbands and Christian wives and would you make disciples of us in such a way that our marriages and our family life and the next generation is transformed. And God, where we've got it wrong, we thank you. We receive grace from you today as we submit our lives afresh this morning. Thank you, Jesus. We pray particularly for those who are going home to husbands or wives who are not yet believers. Oh, Lord, we pray in these coming weeks and months they would lead their partners to Christ with joy. But in the meantime, Lord, would you pour your grace on them? Lord, would you rescue us from doing things that push them away through our conduct or our words? We pray you give patience. Lord, you've been so patient with us. You long that, you're patient because you long that no one should perish. And so we pray for the patience, the fruit of the spirit is patience. We pray for that to be evident in married life. Lord, that many would be one for Jesus. We pray for the thrill of baptizing husbands and wives and hearing their testimonies in days to come and weeks to come uh, in this church. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I just want to pray verse 8. I don't even know if we preach on it next week or not, but I just pray over the whole church as we, as we finish this morning. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Oh, Lord, thank you. We just speak over this family. God, we are so imperfect. We're so aware of our sin and our failure, but you call us to be this holy people, this shining people. We pray for our relationships. We pray, put things right. Help us, Lord. Give us a harmony that is distinctive. Lord, like a beautiful chord that's being played that just sounds a whole new uh, sound together. Lord, give us compassion for one another. Give us humility around one another. May we see one another as husbands and sisters. Would you break off us any um, uh, strategy of the enemy that brings domination and control and manipulation and gossip and striving and evil. But instead, we pray with humility. We would love one another with a Christ-like love. Lord, right across this church, would you continue to shape that culture in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do you want to pray anything? Okay. We'll leave it there. We've gone slightly over. We've finished now. Some of that's so personal, so please pick up in the week. We're doing this in our small groups, but some of these conversations will be for even smaller groups uh, of twos. So, Go pick up your children, stay for tea and coffee. Noah, who's led the meeting, tells me, fill in your Connect card and give your money joyfully and generously. Thank you, Ian and Jane and the band. You've been amazing. God loves you all.